Well, can I invite you to turn with me to the passage that David read a moment or two ago? It's in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 15 to 23. If you haven't been with us in our evening uh, services, uh, either before or uh, since Christmas, it would be good for you to know that we're, we're in the midst of a series in the book of Ephesians, and uh, well, we're going to start with our introduction in a wee minute, uh, bringing up the speed, uh, so don't worry about that. Um, if you don't know who I am either, my name is John Torrens, I'm the assistant here serving this congregation, and if you're new or visiting, it's very glad to, to have you here with us. Let us, uh, but here, we're about to hear from God, so let us pray to him and ask for his help in understanding it. So let us bow our heads and let's pray. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Almighty God, this is our prayer. We pray your word this evening, that your children would hear your word, that they would learn the fear of the Lord, that they would taste and see that you are good, and that they would lack no good thing. Bless us in our time together as we study your word. Amen. Well, this evening, um, we're looking at this passage, which is all about praying for others. And you'll recognize this when we read it earlier, but this passage could be summed up as a prayer. And that's what it is. It is Paul the Apostle's prayer to the church in Ephesus. But in order for us to understand why Paul prays in this way and prays the things that he does, we need to recall what we have seen so far in the letter. I summarized uh, what we have looked at so far under two, two headings. Sorry. There they are there. The problem of unequal power, and we saw that in verses 3 to 10, and the problem of unequal position. Let me uh, describe those to you or explain those to you. If uh, you weren't here, I uh, didn't, didn't uh, hear the sermons in those verses. But the first problem that, that Paul was writing to address was the sense of, of unequal power between Jesus, between the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the God of the Bible, and other gods, the gods of the day. And you'll remember, if you were here, that Paul deals with this problem by using language of power. He describes God in, powerful, in a powerful way. Paul told the Ephesians that they were chosen according to the will of God, that they were secured in Christ, and then they had the seal of the Holy Spirit placed upon them. We looked at these verses, and we thought about Caesar, didn't we? And we, we, we heard that Caesar in those days held the most power. And you'll know that. You'll know that no one could question his choice, no one could question his will, and no one could question his seal. But, God, but Paul, he deals with this problem, and he says, remember who your God is. He has a power that transcends not only anything in this world, 
but everything in all space and time. But there was also the problem of unequal position. And I also spoke on this last week from verses 11 to 14. And in these verses, Paul deals with the division in the church between the newer converts and the older converts. And Paul reminds them of what God has done for them. And you'll remember, Alistair took us through these verses. He told us that there was no difference between anyone in Christ's church. He assures them that every believer was equally predestined and equally sealed by the Holy Spirit. Well, now, if you look down at our verse, verse 15, you will see what Paul does. You see how he starts our verse? He says, for this reason, with these problems in mind, with the truth of who God is and what he has done for you, I'm going to pray for you. You see, Paul knows that in order to deal with the problem in our hearts, the problems in our church, not only do God's people need instructed, but they need to pray for one another. That's how this passage applies to us. Otherwise, we'd be looking at this historic letter and this historic prayer and thinking, oh, it's very nice of you. Paul, you clearly love those people. But rather, we know that we too have the same problems, don't we? We have this problem. We discussed it. We don't need to go over it anymore. But we don't just need instruction on it. We need prayer. Paul, one of the great themes of this letter is is the church. And Paul wants us to remember all the time that we're not simply saved to have our own personal relationship with Jesus. And although that is true, he says you need to remember that you're saved into the church, into a body of believers who can help one another, who can spur one another on. And tonight we're going to see that one of the main ways that we behave as a church, as a body of believers, is that we pray for one another. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to see not simply we've dealt with why we need to pray with one another, but now we're going to see how we can pray for one another. And we're going to look at Paul's prayer, and we're going to use it as a model. And to help us do that, I've got three points. This is how Paul prays for the church in Ephesus with their problems in mind. And this is how we are to pray for one another with, well, the same problems in mind. We're going to see that we need to, first of all, thank God for his work. And then we need to pray for knowledge of God. And then we need to pray for hope in the gospel. So let's have a look here at uh, each of these points in turn. Let's have a look, first of all, at our first point. Thanks for God's work. Now you'll see there a bit of the theme of, of where that we're going in this verse. And the first thing we're going to see is that we must thank God for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see this from the very start of Paul's prayer in verses 15 to 16. And, and if you have a look down at those verses, you'll, you'll hopefully you'll see this for yourself. You'll see there in verses 15 and 16 that, that Paul tells the Ephesians that he has not stopped per- giving thanks for them as he remembers them in his prayers. And that's it. That is the model, very simply, that Paul lays out for us. We should begin our prayers, prayers for one another, with thanks. Now, I recognize that seems quite simple, and you might think, brilliant, let's move on to our next point. We're not going to do that. 
we need to figure out or look at the detail of what Paul is saying here to understand exactly what it is we need to thank God for. And we see this, I think, in verse 15. Have a look down with me at verse 15. You see exactly what he thanks God for? We are to thank God for our brothers and sisters' faith in the Lord Jesus and for their love for all the saints. Now, keep your eyes on that verse and remember the problems that we talked about in our introduction. What were the problems? Lack of faith, lack of love. Wasn't that it? Unequal power, they didn't believe. They they struggled to believe that God was powerful. Lack of love. There was love. They were struggling to believe that each each of their brothers and sisters were saved in the same way. It's odd, this, isn't it? It's an odd way for Paul to start. Yet Paul begins by thanking them for these very things, for these things that they seem to be lacking. I recognize this is strange, isn't it? It is strange. But as I was thinking about this this week, I realized that this is actually what many of us do in our lives. We, we kind of thank people for the things that they're lacking in their lives. Mel and I, that's one of the ways we sort of raise our children. You maybe do this uh, with your own children. If they've ever done something that's sort of kind or courteous or, or gentle or anything good, even if it's the smallest thing, we thank them. And we do this because, well, some of you know my children and you know that they're, they're, they're far from perfect. But we believe, we believe they're covenant children. And we want to bring them up in a godly way. And so whenever they do something that's even in the most tiniest way good, we thank them for it. And in the same way, this is what Paul is doing here. He knows that this church, this, this group of Christians, he knows they're not perfect. He knows they're struggling. But he wants to encourage them. He wants to encourage them in these very ways that they are struggling. And so he begins by thanking God for them. One of the things he does, one of the reasons he does this, and this is, we need to understand this, is he's, he's encouraging them to live out who they are. And we know this because of how he describes them. And again, we see how he describes them in verse 15. Do you see that, the last word of verse 15? Paul calls them saints. I don't know if your antennae went up whenever we read or David read this passage because this word can, can often cause confusion among us. And this word in, a, in sort of our church circles today is often used to describe particularly special Christians. Maybe you've come across that. But that's not how the Bible uses it. Really, rather simply, saints just means holy ones. It's referring to those that have been made righteous by God. It's talking about ordinary Christians. But you see, Paul is doing something very deliberate here. He's calling this troublesome, sinful group of Christians saints. Because he wants us to see that we're not thanking God for what they have done or what they have not done. But for who they are in Christ. You see, this is how we need to pray for one another. We need to look at one another as who we are in Christ. We don't need to judge one another on our understanding of predestination or on who God is 
or on the doctrines of grace. We need to look at one another at who they are in Christ. And as we do that, we will be prompted to thank God for them. Thank God for His work in their lives. And it is only whenever we begin our prayers in this way that we can begin to address the problems in our own hearts as well as the problems in one another's hearts. We're not perfect, but we are saints. And Paul encourages us to focus on that and to give thanks for it. Let's move on. And the second thing we see is that we also need to pray for one another. We need to pray for knowledge of God. At this point, we see that after thanking God for the work that He has done in the lives of our Christian brothers and sisters, we need to pray that they will know God better. And again, if you look down at your passage, and if you look down at verse 17, I think you'll see this rather clearly. Paul states there, doesn't he, in verse 17, that, that he wants the Ephesians to know God better. But as before, we need to dig in, don't we? We need to dig into this verse to see what Paul really means by this. And there are two things, I think, that we can learn from this verse. And the first is that learning is a lifelong commitment. And we get this. Have a look down again at, at, at the verse, verse 17. Because if you look at Paul's first words, he says, I keep asking. Why does Paul say this? Why is this prayer a continual prayer? Because we struggle we struggle to know God better. This is one of the great ironies of our faith, isn't it? We know. We know that the problem, we know that the solution to the problems in our hearts and in our church is an increased knowledge of God. We know that if only we would understand His gospel better, that we would grow in our faith, that we would love one another more. But like I said, it's a great irony. It seems to be the thing that we neglect to do the most. I recognize there are good reasons for this. I know that it is hard. It, it requires effort. It requires time and energy. But it's basically because we're sinful. And just as sin hinders our earthly relationships, so sin hinders our relationship with our Heavenly Father. I was actually talking to someone about this, about our, our struggle with learning, our struggle, where we, 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 we kind of get so far in our learning, but we, we struggle to go any further with it. And this person had more wisdom or more insight in it than I, and I'm going to steal their example. And their example was Sunday school. And they said to me, they said, think about those young people who are dropping out of our Sunday school. I said, okay. He says, why are they dropping out? They said they drop out of Sunday school because they think that it is for children. And when young people get to a certain age, they don't want to be children anymore. And so they leave Sunday school and learning behind them. And the reason this person said they think it is for children is because when our young people look around them at the adults, they don't see them modeling learning. They don't see their adults learning in the way that children are made to learn. And so they think, that's no longer for me. And so they drop out of Sunday school and even out of church. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to invest in a relationship with Jesus. It is hard to get to know Him better. It requires energy and effort. 
But just like we want our earthly relationships to thrive and we know that it requires all those things. In the same way, we need to see that our heavenly, our relationship with our heavenly father requires the same. But the good news of this passage is you're not on your own in this endeavor. You have the prayers of your saints. You see, this is one of the reasons why we need to pray for one another because although an increased knowledge of God and of his gospel is exactly what we need, it's not always what we want. And so let me give you some suggestions of of how you can be praying for your your Christians and brothers and sisters this week. Pray for them, for example, that they might use the library that we have in our foyer. Take some of the books out there to help them understand what our Bible says. And we've been studying difficult subjects over the last couple of weeks, haven't we, in Ephesians 1? We have books out there that help us understand that stuff. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters that they would, enjoy, that they would join one of the Bible studies that we have, that, that meet at various times throughout the week. Pray that they would come to our adult Bible class when their children are in Sunday school. Pray that they would have energy to come out on a Sunday night to hear the Word taught and preached pray that they would see the value not only for themselves, but for the friends and the family they bring with them. We need to know God better. And that learning is a lifelong commitment. And we need to keep asking God that we would keep at it. The second thing I think we see from this verse is that, is that learning is a gift from God. And we see this in the second half of the verse. Have a look down there and and see what it says. Do you see? What does Paul say? He says that it comes, our learning comes from the Spirit through the Word. He uses this phrase, you'll see it in front of you. He uses this phrase, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, glorified, may give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is another confusing phrase, isn't it? Because it might sound like Paul is, is talking about special insight here, isn't he? It might sound that if you, if you pray to God, that he'll give, he'll give our brothers and sisters some sort of special insight outside of the Bible. Now, I hope you know from elsewhere in Scripture that that's not the case. And it, but I hope, well, I hope, not even that, but we can see it from what we've looked at the rest of chapter 1 of, of Ephesians. I mean, why would Paul have spent verses 3 to 14 teaching them all these things if all he had to do was pray that God would reveal all these things to them individually? You see, it's not what Paul means here. Instead, Paul's prayer, this spirit of wisdom and revelation, is saying that, that he prays that the people of Ephesus, that the saints there, that Christians would study God's Word, that they would rely on the Holy Spirit to tell them what it means. And again, I don't know what you think about this, but this is really important because we struggle, don't we? We struggle with this. And I think one of the ways we struggle with this is how we make our learning about us. We don't know, maybe become arrogant in our learning. Or we read something in the Bible and we think, this doesn't actually sound like God. And so we dismiss it. We might even think it sounds offensive. We might even say it's divisive, so we we don't need to worry about it. I think we have lots of examples in Ephesians chapter 1 that lend themselves themselves to these kind of reactions. 
But Paul says, when it comes to difficult things in the Bible, when it comes to things that that we need to maybe rely on our own knowledge or our own effort to understand, we need to realize that it is the Holy Spirit at work. It is He who is revealing God's Word to us. And as we study God's Word, we will indeed grow in the knowledge of our God. We will indeed address the problems in our hearts. And we will indeed address the problems in our church. And again, this is how we should pray for one another. We need to pray that, that, that each of us, our brothers and sisters, would trust in every part of God's Word. Trust that it is teaching them about God, even the difficult bits, even the bits that may not make sense to us at first reading. They teach us who God is. There's no division between doctrine and the person and the character and nature of God. The two are one and the same. And so we need to pray for one another. Then even if we were to study it for five minutes a day, that we would get to know him better. We need to pray for those of us here who don't feel smart enough to study the Bible. And I know many of you have said that to me. You've said that to me as we've studied Ephesians 1. You say, you know, it's it's all over my head. And you've abdicated responsibility. And you've said to me, it's as if you've said to me, you know, I, I know God enough and I'm very happy with that. Well, we need to pray for one another, don't we? We need to pray for one another that it's not about their efforts or their intellect but that they would rely on the Holy Spirit to reveal to them who their heavenly Father is. We need to pray that we don't reject this gift from God. We need to pray for one another that we see that that one-to-ones are not just there for those who are sort of in a moment of crisis or or maybe need help, but one-to-ones is just another way of brothers and Christians getting together in a bid to grow in their faith, in a bid to grow in their relationship with God together. And we need to pray that we don't trust solely in our ability or in our intellect. And we need to pray that we would be saved from arrogance. How are we to pray? We need to give thanks for God, for his work in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And then we need to pray that they would commit to lifelong learning of studying the Bible. We need to pray that they would rely on the Holy Spirit to reveal God to them through his word. Right. Finally, let's look at our third point. Hope in the gospel. This is what we need to pray for our brothers and sisters, that they will remember the gospel. And we see this in verses 18 to 23. And they describe three, in these verses, they describe three things God has done for his people. And we see that, as Paul tells us these things, it is his prayer that we would put our place, place our hope in them. It's been a while, so let's read them again. There's, there's lots in here, so let's read them again, okay? This is what Paul says. I pray also that the eyes of your heart, verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power to us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. 
And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There's three things in these verses. I'll put them up here for us. You'll see them there. Paul calls us to hope in the future. Verse 18, you'll see it. The hope in which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That day whenever we will be congregated together in the new heavens and the new earth. As we sang, we will praise and serve God forever. Hope in the power of God. What is that power? A power which raised the Son from the dead. A power which restored him to his rightful place at the right hand of God. And hope in Christ. You see how Paul almost loses the run of himself here. This gets back to this sort of theme, this problem that we saw. It'll come up time and time again, this type of language, this type of description of who Jesus is. Unquestionable power. And thus, the church, not as individuals, but as a body, will be united with him one day. Why does Paul finish this prayer with hope in the future, hope in the power of God, hope in Christ? Well, the answer is simple, isn't it? Hope is the fuel of our faith. Isn't it? Isn't it the thing that keeps us going? It's the thing that keeps us growing in our knowledge of God. It's the thing that keeps us endeavoring to love one another more. And it's the thing that will enable us to pray for one another. Again, as with the other two, the reason we need this prayer from our brothers and sisters is because we struggle with this, don't we? We crave hope. The world craves hope as part of our, our sinfulness. And we look for it in, in, in every, sort of, every sort of place. We look for it in ourselves. We look for it in the world. We look for it in others. It's a struggle we have. I actually came across a song this last week which um, I think illustrates this, illustrates our world's desire for hope. Um, well, I'll put it up here. I'm very aware I'm about to quote a pop song, so we'll see how we get on. But you might, some of you might know it. But this is what, her, her name is Demi Lovato, and this is what she, I know. I know. I, but anyway, okay, but anyway, it's very helpful. It's very helpful, all right? It's, don't listen to me. Listen to her, okay? Now, this is what she said, okay? She said, or she sang this, she said, I tried to talk to my piano, I tried to talk to my guitar, talked to my imagination, confided in, into alcohol, I tried and tried and tried some more, told secrets till my voice was sore, tired of empty conversation, because no one hears me anymore. A hundred million stories and a hundred million songs, I feel stupid when I sing, nobody's listening to me, nobody's listening. I talk to shooting stars, but they always get it wrong. I feel stupid when I pray. So why am I praying anyway, if nobody's listening? She sang this at the Grammys, I think it was last week, and people loved it. They thought it was class. But they loved it because it spoke. It spoke truth. And it's a truth that unites this world. It's a, it's, it's a world that is crying out for help, a world that is alone, a world that is broken. A world that needs hope. The tragic thing about Demi Lovato is that she's praying to someone who cannot answer her. 
That's a real tragedy. She's looking for hope, but she cannot find it. Look where our hope is. Hope in the future. Hope in the power of God. Hope in Christ. You see, our prayers for one another, they're not based on us. They're not based on the world. They're not based on some God who cannot answer us. They're based on Jesus Christ and in his gospel. That's it, these words in this letter, when you read them, we read them, and there's an over sense, over sort of flowing sense of the power of the gospel. The overflowing sense of the fulfillment of the gospel. And we need to pray for one another that we would remember this gospel, the hope that it brings. And remember the one in whom the hope comes from. Because it is the fuel that will keep us going. Remember what Paul is doing here. He is addressing problems in this church. Problems in their hearts, their lack of faith. Problems in their community, their lack of love for one another. Well, as he seeks to address them, he wants them to look not to themselves but to the gospel. It is the gospel that will drive them forward. And so as before, this is how we need to pray for one another. We need to pray that our brothers and sisters would place their hope in the gospel in times of sickness, in times of uncertainty, that we would place our hope in the gospel in in the face of an ever-increasingly secular world and an increasingly aggressive opposition that we would pray for our brothers and sisters, that even though they are from all different backgrounds and walks and maturity and understanding of God, that they would be filled with hope in the knowledge that one day we will congregate before the King together forever. As we endeavor to love one another, we need to pray. We need to pray with our minds fixed upon the gospel. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters that they would hope in the gospel so that that would spur us on to know God more and understand our Savior and his love for us. What do we need to pray for? We need to give thanks, don't we, to God for making our brothers and sisters saints. They're not perfect, but he's made them saints. We need to pray to our Heavenly Father that he would reveal himself to you our brothers and sisters, through his word, by the power of his Holy Spirit. And we pray that they would never lose the hope that they have in the power and the fulfillment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One more thing I want to say before we conclude, and it's actually going all the way back to the very beginning, and it's to remember these two problems. This, remember we said, look at verse 15. Paul says, for this reason, For this reason, I say all these things, because of these problems. But have a look at verse 15 again, because although he says for this reason, the next thing he says is important to us. See what he says? Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and for your love of all the saints. Ever since I heard about your faith. You see, we've been talking about this prayer as if it's a reactionary prayer. 
And in some ways it is. Paul has written this letter to them to teach them about who God is and what he has done for them to deal with these two problems. And he has concluded, along with this instruction, they need prayer. But he tells them, he doesn't just say, my prayer has come now that I've written this letter. He says, I've always been praying for you. Ever since the moment I heard that you became Christians. The reason I want to conclude with this is because we might be banking this sermon. You might be thinking, right, this is really helpful for whenever my brother and sister's in a real time of need. Or actually, we're really quite a united congregation. There's no problem here of unequal position. So maybe we'll park some of these prayers until they arise. Paul says he's been praying for these people ever since they believed. We promise that, don't we? Whenever we baptize our infants, that we would pray for them. And I know many of us do. And it's great. It's one of the great things about being a part of the community of God. But my plea to you now as we conclude with this word is to not forget these things or not to bank them for a future date. But to see that if you're not praying for one another in this way, then you need to start right away. And to encourage those who are already praying for us in this way. And to thank you. Because as well as teaching, we need prayer. This is God's gospel to us. He has saved us into a community of believers. We hear his word taught. And we're part of a family who love us so much that they thank us, not for what we do or do not do, but for who we are. Pray that we would know our Father more. Encourage us in lifelong learning. Encourage us to trust the word. And point us not to ourselves, but to our Savior is our hope. This is my prayer for you, and I trust it's your prayer for me. Well, let's do that. Let's, let me pray these words over us as God's family. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking the Lord, our, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, my brothers and sisters of Richel Christian Church, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you, my brothers and sisters may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and of his incomparably great power for us, us brothers and sisters who believe, that we might remember that power. The power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. For us, we are his body, the fullness of him, Jesus Christ, who fills everything in every way. Amen.